Hey everybody, it's Debt's No Honest Man Can Pay on NRM Streamcast.
Hey everybody, it's Debt's No Honest Man Can Pay. Mm. My name is Greenberg. Thank you so much for joining us. We're here as close to weekly as we can get right here on NRM Streamcast. It is an overcast Wednesday morning here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I sit across the table from my longtime friend and esteemed educator and longtime broadcaster, the host of the long-running Teacher on the Radio radio program, broadcasting live and sometimes via recorded medium from the campus of Tennessee Tech in Cookville, Tennessee on WTTU. We are currently drinking coffee, recovering from last night's Dead and Company adventure, an adventure that I was talked into going upon by my friend Andy Smith, who joins us today. And this is a long overdue conversation, a series of questions I've been dying to ask Andy, and I will leave space for Andy to ask questions for me. But Andy, it is good to see you in front of me. It's good to see you alive, and thank you for agreeing to sit down, fueled only by the vapors of last night and caffeine. Good morning. Uh, it's great that this meeting of the minds is happening because we began our radio careers in the 1980s at 88.3 WSHJ at Southfield High School in the suburbs of Detroit, Michigan. And I think of Debt's No Honest Man Can Pay and Teacher on the Radio as sort of sibling programs uh, by two Gen X middle-aged uh, music-obsessed people. Um, and Scott and I are also are a part of the Music Nerds Collaborative, which is an annual uh, best of the year uh, live stream video stream. We do with uh, another Scott from Alabama, Rick from Nashville, and Amy from Nashville, and uh, also Gus from Cookville. Mm -hmm. So we are uh, really just collaborators and co-conspirators in the sonic joy. And uh, I'm a deadhead, uh, and I dragged Scott to a dead show and he survived and we were sober and it was awesome and well, it was you, just you were you were sober and I'm proud of you for that because you've been sober for many years I had exactly a beer and a half the second beer I was enjoying I accidentally knocked down on the hill so I think I maybe more accurately a beer and a quarter but <laughs> you know Shame on me for paying those high prices, but we're not here to bemoan Live Nation and or Ticketmaster. <laughs> oh, no, we are not. <laughs> no, no, that's that's another conversation for another time. I had a series of questions that I've been, like, burning to, like, sit down and ask you. So instead of just going willy-nilly, I'm going to go from the beginning, and I'm going to tee this one up by saying that when we first met, I was, and still am, a huge Springsteen fan, to a fault. I think I might need to be in a recovery group because I have silly rules. Like, anytime Springsteen has a new studio album out, it's automatically my album of the year, and I realize how problematic that is. At the time, I was a huge Springsteen fan, still am, and you were a huge U2 fan. Tell me about the beginning of your love affair with the music of U2. Was it was there a specific moment? Was it a series of moments? Was there a gradual awakening? But what's the origin story of Andy's relationship with you two? So um, we are both music journalists as well. We both were writing for the school paper. Um, I've done a lot more probably fanzines and blogs than you, but um, radio and print really and, and internet. I almost felt obligated in high school once I realized that this was a passion of mine, music fandom. Uh, I subscribed to Rolling Stone magazine in the 80s at my house. And I remember vividly reading uh, an early critical acclaim around the time of the war album. The title was Blessed Are the Peacemakers, which of course is a quote directly out of the gospel according to St. Matthew, the Beatitudes. Best part of the New Testament, in, in my humble opinion. And I... Uh, 
was a little church youth group nerd, and I also was a Beatles maniac, and I was really obsessed with John Lennon's solo material, um, and especially after John Lennon's passing in 1980 when I was like 12, I remember my, my, my father coming home with the Double Fantasy album, and us, the entire family sitting in the living room and, and holding a, kind of a, a spiritual moment, listening to John and Yoko, and I was already bemoaning, I hadn't discovered punk yet, and I was bemoaning that my, my main music obsession was a guy that would, had been dead five years, you know, and then, or this, actually that time it had only been three years, it was 1983, so, around 1983, I read this article in Rolling Stone, and it described Bono's obsession with the 60s, his social justice activism, and his spiritual uh, faith, uh, uh, basically Christian or Christian kind of adjacent, as I sometimes like to call myself. So uh, I went and got into war. Now, the single New Year's Day didn't really grab me. That was playing on MTV, but Sunday Bloody Sunday and Like a Song uh, really grabbed me. And then I watched the uh, video from Red Rocks uh, that was I actually ripped to VHS. Remember when you, you would stick a VHS in and just hit record whatever yeah. was on the TV? Well, that was in the days before we called it ripping. So anyway, uh, I was a big VHS bootlegger. I would I would just take stuff off the television and watch it over and over and over again. So I had a homemade kind of a bootleg VHS tape of the Red Rocks concert, and I just watched that thing to death. And I think probably before too long, I was like, subscribing to YouTube fanzines. And I was uh, remember that their uh, Detroit concert in the fall of 84 sold out in like five minutes. And this was actually when you had to go to a ticket outlet. And I spent the night at a ticket outlet. And it was actually a, a morally up ticket outlet because I later tried to do that for another YouTube tour and the guy at the ticket outlet talk, took off like 30 or 40 tickets for his friends before he sold to the general public or maybe even to scalp uh, before he sold to the general public. I, I, I was first in line at a, at a reputable record store with a reputable ticket master uh, function and I bought and I think I bought the maximum number of tickets allowed eight or whatever it may have even been 12 in those right. days. I bought the maximum number of tickets allowed for that all my friends had gave me money for and they were like 10 or 15 dollars for you two at the Fox Theater on Woodward Avenue in Detroit uh, with Unforgettable Fire. That was when Unforgettable Fire dropped and pretty much I was all in. Um, but just to keep up with the origin story to make it a little bit more obscene uh, in terms of over the top, um, I became a fanzine guy and I started like getting all the into all the adjacent right. bands. So like Waterboys, Simple Minds, The Alarm. And I was a, a groupie for uh, Maria McKee of Lone Justice and she got me on the guest list for the entire first 15 or 20 shows of the Joshua Tree Tour in 1987. And so that's like the first phase of my YouTube fandom, which then rebooted in the 21st century around uh, how to dismantle an atomic bomb or yep. maybe even the um, Elevation Tour. But So let's back up a little bit here. Okay. So you said you heard uh, New Year's Day didn't quite do it, but Sunday Bloody Sunday flipped a switch. So do you remember like the first time you heard it, like how, what your visceral reaction was to that? I always remember the uh, Red Rocks version that ended up becoming on Under a Blood and Red Sky, which is a, a, a live EP. This song is not a rebel song. This song is Sunday Bloody Sunday. And I didn't understand what that was. I didn't understand what right. the rebellion in Ireland was about. I didn't understand what right. Belfast or right. Dublin. I didn't understand the Republic of Ireland versus the uh, occupied by the crown territories of the north. But I, did, you, I didn't understand. You obviously it. did the research, and this was in a pre-Google day, right? And I figured out that he was saying today we call it both sidesing. He was basically both sidesing the war in Ireland and saying I don't want war of any kind, right? And I, that just blew my mind. And the white flag, the white flag of surrender that he was waving around on the stage, just it just completely blew my mind. 
he's since wrapped himself in American flags and Irish flags, which which, which that's a whole other story. Um, but yes, the audacity of Sunday Bloody Sunday and the um, the lyrics on Like a Song and Drowning Man, right. which are some of the deep cuts on that album, still to this day are some of the, and 40, which is basically like it's a... It's the 40th uh, song. Yeah, and it could be a, it could be a cantor at a, at a synagogue or a, a, a priest at a church. It could be a choir. I mean, right. I'm sure choirs, since then, many choirs have probably uh, done their rendering. You know, it, it's right. sacred music. So it was, it just blew my mind in every regard. And I still, I'm getting chill bumps just thinking about it because I haven't really just sat and listened for, listened to war, right. you know, side A through right. side, you know, all 10 tracks or whatever is on there in right. a long time. There's been a lot of talk about this next song. Maybe, maybe too much talk. This song is not a rebel song. This song is Sunday, bloody Sunday.
let's fast forward ahead. So you have had a long and circuitous relationship with the music of U2, but you, you had periods where you waned and periods where you checked back in. But um, when, when did you come to that fork in the road? What was the fork in the road? Well, there's really been two forks in the road. And it's really interesting because um, I'm a deep religious person, but I also hate religion. And so um, my religious journey and my YouTube journey have actually been fairly uh, right. synonymous. So in the 90s, I was into a lot of like punk and folk and kind of like really is the more underground, the more DIY, the better. Right. The, if, it, if it wasn't on a record label, it was even better. And I didn't, I didn't really follow follow the Zeropa pop trajectory. Coming back later, I found that those albums were incredibly avant-garde and even as over the top as the pop tour was, I think it was incredibly over. Can I give you my hot take? Yes. I like Zeropa much better than Octoon Baby. Ooh, scandal. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> See, okay. I, like, I, I like No Line on the Horizon. I like, like October. Those are considered yeah. to be some of their lower albums in the right. rankings that most fans will do. And um, and I know we're going to talk about some other bands and this isn't a YouTube podcast, but, but, but very, very quickly, the, the rebirth in the 21st century with with, uh, with All That You Can't Leave Behind and How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb, which were, I think to this day are still the, their most successful albums right. in terms of like sales. And of course the Super Bowl performance and the connection with like 9-11 and then Bono's uh, campaigning uh, for Drop the Dead around Third World Dead and Raising Consciousness around HIV in Africa. So that the, 20, the early 21st century revival also coincided with me having a job, with me getting older, with my kid being in school. Because right. like in the 90s I was like, in, we, she was in diapers and right. we were homeschooling her in preschool and stuff. So I I had no time or money. And I was in grad school for a master's degree on a stipend. So I had no time or money for music consumerism. So the 21st century coincided with me having uh, more income, right. uh, more stability in my life, and the music kind of, that's their renaissance in right. the early aughts. And so I went back hardcore right. again around 2005, around the tour, the Vertigo tour. That's when I went hardcore again. And I actually started writing for a YouTube fanzine for right. several years on the internet called Interference.com. So let's back up a little bit here. So you kind of fell off with them around the time that you had a kid and you were like, and that's Zeropa Ruby was born in 93 right. Zeropa was so, out around 93 would would it be safe to say that you know your tolerance for anything that's absolutely not crucial i.e your family supporting your family for lack of a better word, was bullshit. Yeah, so I had a couple of artists that I followed through the 90s, but they were all, like, extremely DIY, and they were, one of them was a guy yeah. that I'm friends with, a folk artist called Casey Neal, but the, the artists, like, Ani DeFranco and Utah Phillips, like, ranting about labor unions and anarchism, and, like, then there was, like, a folk, a gay folk group from, uh, uh that played, uh, on one of the communes near where I lived called Pistol Pete and Popcorn Paul. They're on Spotify, now right. you can go listen to them, but, like, they're, they've, like, got, like, 500 listens, or maybe a thousand right. listens on very underground, right. And people that don't charge or like, you know, it's like, yeah. pay what you can. I mean, yeah. I wasn't even hardly going to Nashville for anything for concerts, much less going to like a stadium show. Like, right. so I just literally, um, music had to be like at a local club and preferably right. free at that so time. So was it more like a sense of, you know, you just, your, your priorities were different or were you two doing things that you're just like, you know, this is not quite for me anymore i'm like was... no my moral my moral quandary with bono started and once i was back in the hardcore fandom and he was palling around with george bush like i've had a moral war but with in retrospect, bono about that into, let's, let's from both 2005 agree. to let's now let's both agree that in retrospect trump makes george bush look like jimmy carter <laughs> that's extreme <laughs> that's really extreme scott let's not go there yeah let's talk music more than politics and i'll only talk politics in the context of of my disputes right. with bono <laughs> 
All right, so let's make it clear. You had no issues with Edge or Larry or Adam. It was always with Bono. And I love Bono. That's the thing. Bono's the one that I love the most, and he's the one that brought me right. into the fold. And he's the, and I think of him like a, a sibling yeah. that I, you know, I'm fighting with at, right. at Christmas. Right. And so, he got the, he obviously got the better job. Right. Than me, so I'm jealous. So you, <laughs> I'm so jealous. Right. So you were like, okay, what 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 is my hero doing hanging out with W? Uh, and were, were there other things that he did that made you go, well, well wait I, a minute. I, well, economic uh, justice is one of my one of my passions, right. and and they're just so rich. And right. when he started working on uh, on the poverty thing, he seemed to be doing this kind of like corporate charity. Like he created a corporation, Red, right. which was a way for or a, a campaign. I think it's not even a corporation, but it was a way for corporations to sort of like brand themselves. Now, Red seems to have faded a little bit, but the one campaign is still around. And I just don't I don't begrudge their intentions. I just it's just my uh, you know, like he was at the shows, get out your cell phone, text this number, and all of a sudden you were a member of the One Campaign. And then right. he would brag how many members of the One Campaign he had, but all these people had ever done was text at a show because he told them to. Mm. And it wasn't really, it wasn't real activism by my estimation. So I don't, I don't really consider, I consider what he does to be a bit uh, performative, spectacular. Yes, very extremely mm-hmm. performative. I love their music to this day, right. and it's only between tours and between albums when he's doing more activism and less music that he gets on my nerves. Frankly, I the, the war in the Ukraine breaks my heart, and I think it was a preventable war. Um, I hate Putin, but I don't, I'm not really a fan of Zelensky. So when they did that stunt and they played in a subway with Zelensky, that just got on my nerves. It just seemed really stunt-like. But here's, here's the thing. If you were in Bono's shoes and you had Bono's personality and... For better or for worse, he's like, you know what? I'm going to use my powers for good. Would you do that or would you be, I'm not going to do this because I'm afraid of what alternate universe Andy Smith might think of Right, no, of course not. And there's a certain level of cynicism to everything yeah. I'm saying. And I understand that Bono gets some of that kind of yeah. cynicism from the far right. I'm uh, I'm critiquing him from the far left, just right. to be clear. And so I'm just that, you know, and it, there's this the song they did called Stand Up Comedy. And he has a song in there called, a line in there says, Stand Up to Rockstars. And I'm just doing what he told me to do right. in Stand Up Comedy. No. And um, we paid way too much money for this sphere thing. And uh, my brother, like, I, d- I would never have gone to the Octoon Baby Tour uh, if it hadn't been for my brother, who's my one of my fellow hardcore U2 fans. I didn't go to the Bono Book Tour, right. and I kind of regret it now, because I think the Bono Book Tour sounded really interesting, and I probably would have enjoyed it. Did you watch uh, the, the special they did with uh, Letterman? I did, yeah. That was great. And for better or for worse, I love that Bono will not hesitate to take the piss out of himself. He is self-deprecating in a, yeah. in, a, in a healthy way, and I don't think he's like I don't think he's the monstrous ego that some people think he is. I, I think I don't think he's really that right. egotistical. And um, his kids, you know, to be honest, that Inhaler album is so good, right. and his daughter's TV show is so good. So her new show, um, like Bad Irish Sisters or something, yeah, it's it's un- so. Just how um, talented, and now the one kid isn't in stardom, but um, Elijah's band Inhaler and Eve's uh, acting career, and also just the way that they handle themselves in Ireland. Ireland is now more uh, pro-choice than the United States, but they only legalized um, abortion a few years ago, and their entire family campaigned for pro-choice in Ireland. And even some of their friends, like the man who he wrote bad about who survived a heroin overdose, who I met... Oh, wait, he survived? I thought he died. I thought that for years! I'm glad you said that. I thought that for years. I met the guy in Belfast at a U2 conference. Andy Rowan, he's an amazing human being. Oh. 
that that makes me very happy. He only got clean, I think, in round twenty fifteen. Uh, Holy or, cow! And um and he was at a show after he got out of rehab in Pittsburgh. Right. And Bono sings "Bad for Him" in Pittsburgh in like I'm forgetting which tour it's on. They've they've toured so much yeah. that in the last ten years that I, I I can't keep all the right. It was the the Innocence one, so it would have been like right. twenty eighteen, I think right. maybe 2015, okay. 2018. It was one either Innocence or it was Innocence and then Experience. It was on one right. of those one of those tours or maybe it was uh no maybe i take that back it was a stadium show that would have been 2011 that would have been the uh 360 tour i think right. it was 360 tour okay in 2011 when uh he uh when andy rowan came to a u2 show in pittsburgh right. and bono dedicated bad to him and bad had not been in the set list at all on that tour oh, wow. andy rowan and his family andy rowan survived a, a, a bombing in dublin that the ira had propagated and he carries around a piece of shrapnel from that bombing and uh and uh, to remember it and he showed me I, we sat in, in this conference we sat, it was in a church we sat next to each other in the pews and he had the piece of shrapnel in so his he, hand he's like a recovering addict Tony Stark, really. He's amazing. He's kind of amazing. Yeah. But they're very conservative, uh, his family, and uh, they, 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 they don't support Bono supporting uh, pro-choice. And, and I'm sure conservative Christians in, in Ireland are not happy that Bono, right. Bono was pro-choice. But, right. So there would be an issue on which Bono and I's politics are completely simpatico. <laughs> that, that's cool. So you really got back into them again around 2000, uh, how, to, how to dismantle an atomic bomb. I gotta say, I had a visceral moment. I was just coming out of of a character building chapter of my life that I call uh, my exile behind the cheddar curtain. I just returned to Detroit. I had nothing to my name, but I had a good friend who let me stay with him for a year and a half, but just was just happy to be alive, happy to be back in Detroit, and was driving around one day. I forgot which station it was, but they played Vertigo. And I'm like, holy crap on a cracker. This is like a throwback to early U2 and it was visceral and it was rock and it was punk and I'm like I love this but I was also at a time where I barely had two nickels to rub together so it wasn't actually until a year ago that I bought that CD I did get to see them on that tour and yeah I felt that they really kind of just to me U2 is like REM I'm not as into them as I used to be but I'm always happy to check in with them when they do something new always grateful for their contribution to the world and to my life. But this re this rethought songs of surrender is brilliant in my opinion, and a lot of people are panning it. I think it's fan it's calling it elevator music. I think it is phenomenal. I haven't good. listened to the whole thing yet. The lyrical changes alone, I would come there just for the lyrical changes. And I've not, I haven't seen somebody. If, I'm sure somebody in the hardcore fandom has done this, and made a right. made a spreadsheet of all the lyrics right. changes. It's phenomenal. I'm kind of of the the opinion of like it, it's something I'll dive deep into one of these days. And if I was... It's like a three-hour commitment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, over the past several years, I've had, like, very few second thoughts about spending money for things. Like, every replacements box set I'm buying, I feel like... And I still buy physical product because I like the act of opening it up, going to the store, looking through the liner notes, smelling the new product, being in the moment with it. And that's how I would like to engage with a set like that as opposed to stream. I feel like streaming is, streaming is, it's convenient and I love it, but it's like, it's not a great way to engage because you could just 
oh, I'm, I'm working on this thing. Let's put this on in the background. It may go in in one ear and out the other. So I'm, I've always favored quality over quantity. So I like when I know I want to really have a good engaging experience, I try to be in that moment, which is a challenge as an adult. But let's go back to, to uh, how to dismantle atomic bomb and you like embracing them wholeheartedly. I remembered going to the store in Cookville. Now there was an independent uh, CD and record store in Cookville, but I don't know if I either knew where it was right. at that time. I didn't live in Cookville yet, or if um, if it it, it was it, it was it came and went. It was called Compact Discovery. But I went to the Sam Goody on uh, in the morning of the morning of the release day, which is a Tuesday, back when records were coming out on Tuesdays, yep. and this was before streaming. And uh, we have this uh, time at, at the university called Dead Hour which is time an hour on Tuesdays and Thursdays when there's no classes right. and sometimes there's meetings but I remember sitting and listening to my it, it in my car I think probably during dead hour on a Tuesday morning like it's you know, going and getting the CD and ripping out. I didn't have that, like, savor the new product. I, like, like ripped the cellophane and I shoved it, in, you know, shoved it into the CD player. And so it, violent. And inhaled it, inhaled it, all of it in just, like, one one listen. And I, right. I wore that CD out. I mean, I listened to that thing right. constantly. Right. And, um, I, and then I toured uh, pretty heavily uh, when they went on tour behind that album. I think I must have saw, like, right. half dozen shows at least. Right. But, yeah, front to back, maybe there's a couple songs now that I wouldn't consider to be their best work but the first side a if you will on that uh it's just it, it's mesmerizing to me the song he wrote for his father the miracle drug song i just i just love it front to back and I, city of blinding lights i mean and vertigo is all just yeah. a phenomenal album love and peace or else it's just all phenomenal i remember them being on snl and absolutely crushing it yeah that's always exciting when your favorite bands on snl or when you've got that killer host musical guest combo like back in the day, like anytime Steve Martin hosted, it was just an event to remember. Or like the day that Biden got elected and it was Dave Chappelle and the Foo Fighters. Or like earlier this year when it was like Woody Harrelson and Lil Yachty. I, I still get excited over that shit. All right, so you're back on board. But at one point, you kind of shift. And your lifelong favorite band, U2, no longer your favorite band. Still a band very near and dear to your heart. But then you have successors. So, so starting around 2006, um, I, I went to Bonnaroo and I um, inhaled the Z album by My Morning Jacket. They're out of Louisville. They right. were called at that time the American Radiohead, and I they, they remind me. Although, of, wouldn't you say that maybe that Wilco might be the American Radiohead? Right. Well, the jacket or uh, right. the re jacket rule might remind somebody of right. Wilco, REM, uh, the Grateful Dead. Right. They might remind people of the thing about My Morning Jacket that I love. In a way, you could say about. Springsteen about you too is they're they're very eclectic like so they've got their right. they've got like a folk lineage they've got like a southern rock uh, lineage being from Kentucky right but they have this sort of kind of neo psychedelic yep. Yep. and Jim James's uh, falsetto and right. lyrics and um, the warmth the kind of the reverby warmth of their records oh. they, they might be adjacent to the Flaming Lips even well, the, that song Golden which is the first song I ever heard by them yeah it, it stops me in my tracks every time because it's like an alternate reality AM old yes song. yes and there's some neil young in there anyway and so that they're they're rich they're warm their live shows are are just sweaty and they leave a pint of blood on the stage every single yeah. night they change the set list every single night and there's their hardcore fandom is so kind and generous and loving and they're not big 
like I can always get a ticket. Like the thing about about the jacket is, is there a there a medium level hardcore fandom where unlike Fish, unlike Dead and Company, unlike Springsteen, unlike U2, unlike Taylor Swift, unlike all these bands, you can always get a ticket to my morning jacket. Like I don't stress out. But it's about, always a packed house in a, in a jacket. Yeah, but I never stress out about like, will right. I get to see the show or that I'm going to pay over market? Yeah. Like I told you, I'm, I'm doing for Tyler, and right. it's sitting in my phone. It says. Order pending. I paid one hundred and fifty dollars for this. Put yeah. the ticket in my phone already. Yeah. It's in like three days. <laughs> <laughs>
Was it kind of like a love at first show kind of thing? So I wanted to let you all know that that time was my heavy partying phase of my last my last legs, and I would I would drink with psilocybin mushrooms at the same time. I would I would take shrooms and drink. Did you have a death wish? I I almost died a few times. I really did, Scott, and right. it's scary. No, all addicts kind of it's called suicide on the installment plan. If you're addicted, <laughs> there is there is a part of like you know there there there's some self harming aspect to right. all all chronic addictions that are that are so obviously bad for you, like alcoholism. Jacket is known for their late night Bonnaroo sets. They always play like a midnight set, right. and uh, and so it was one of these midnight sets. And I was high as a kite, and it just it just it just changed my world. I loved it so much. I mean, I, I fell hard in love with my morning jacket, and I wanted to travel. And I started traveling to see them immediately. I mean, I immediately was like head over heels. And this was between this was after the U two tour uh, was over, and it was before No Line right. on, on the Horizon came out. So I went from like two thousand and six to two thousand and eight. It was jacket, 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 nothing but jacket yeah. and, the, and they followed up z with evil urges or is that called was the album called evil urges no it's called uh what is this what was the follow-up al- i think it was evil urges okay so yeah so I, it was uh i know evil urges is the track on there is that what the album was called though what was i don't it came out in june of 2008 no i know i know the album you're talking about it came out um right before bonnaroo i went to bonnaroo they played for four hours in the pouring rain so uh, let's talk about it was uh, jim was sliding around the stage the the rain was flashing everywhere you couldn't be a more different band from you two so you could i'm like you two spoke to your rebellious christianity and my morning jacket what was it about that was it like they were like the bad boy 
they were a little bit the bad boys, but they're not. They're not because Jim has this yeah. g- gen- generosity of spirit, and he's right. a he's a, he's a hardcore activist. I right. mean, Jim James has the activism that Bono has, or that any good uh, kind of liberal or lefty right. American or global singer does. I mean, but there's something there. It's the warmth to the experience and and the the diversity of the songs and the and the right. lyrics but no there there is there there was i remember during that period and this is really getting a little bit too too granular here but i i would never ever consider taking uh drugs at a u2 concert i would drink at a u2 concert but i wouldn't also right. take drugs which was very bizarre but like i would like never drop like eat a eat a tap so u2 is church yeah, the jacket definitely was more kind of like, and I do think because of their long shows, right. they don't really go into the outer outer space right. like we saw last night. But they do. They, so they're was, jam. They're jam adjacent. Was was so more, was my morning jacket your gateway to being a deadhead? No. The Wharf Rats were my great gateway to being a deadhead, which is the Yellow Balloon group that I went to at set break last night. Right. Where, because um, I found out about them at Bonnaroo in two thousand and nine, I, I I had five weeks, six weeks, ninety days, maybe not even ninety days. I had fifty days sober, something like that, and I went to Bonnaroo. Um, and so they have twelve step meetings at, at festivals too that are very much like the one we had last night at the, right. at the Dead Show. And I did never heard of the Wharf Rats, and they I said, where do these Yellow Balloons come from? Who started the Yellow Balloon groups? And they said, well, it's, we descend from the Wharf Rats, who have been on Grateful Dead tour since the um uh, since the early 80s no i think the jacket for me are like everything that a rock band should be they're a complete experience for me they have that they have that kind of like classic right you know that that you know the same way we were talking about uh, rem and u2 and and i'm sure the e street band would be the same thing is like you know they're they're siblings they're brothers they they, there's a cohesiveness and a communal feeling to their to the internal organism of the band is not to mention the fan base so the fan base is almost a mirror of that kind of coherent identity so it's it's mmj jam adjacent not necessarily jam but jam friendly i could see the uh them being uh, somebody that somebody uh, who was like a hardcore Dead fan way back in the day w- would be like, okay, this is a modern band that I like. And as you were saying earlier, that activism, but not wearing it on the sleeve like Bono. Not did. even close, yeah. So that I could see how that would be attractive to you. But he also has like spiritual themes that he kind of inserts right. into his songs. He has this song called Wonderful, which is right. kind of like a uh, a vision of ut- of a utopia, but one could say it's a vision of like, you know, heaven or the beloved community. So it's a very it's a very kind of utopian song. And then he's got this song uh, uh, called Smoking from Shootin' where he like kind of inserts some like gospel into right. it. And he's very into, Jim is very into like kind of like old black gospel. He's very into Marvel. Marvin Gaye. He's right. played, he's sung a lot of Marvin Gaye songs right. um, live. Like uh, as like when the jacket rarely does a cover, right. but if he's going to do a cover, he might be more likely than ever to do a, a Marvin Gaye song. Yeah. And when and when U two was touring right after nine eleven, uh, they started doing Marvin Gaye right. at uh, on the Elevation tour. So right. like I think there's this uh, appreciation for black music. Uh, yeah. That there's this appreciation for kind of the weird, like the cosmic and the right. weird. There's a, um, a a spiritual author in the United States called uh, Ken Wilbur who's into like mysticism from right. a non sectarian yeah. point of view. And there's a podcast from like almost twenty years ago now of Jim James <laughs> early in his career just talking random spiritual right. ideas. Is with yep. Ken Wilbur. Yep. He goes on meditation retreats. No. So Jim is kind of a, a woo-woo hippie like yeah. me. And I, and in a weird, weird way, I think today I would feel more more aligned kind of with Jim than with Bono. And so, so there, there's a sense of like emulation so, with, with who I follow. And the same is true for Jason as well. So we'll get to him in a moment. So 
Just to take a brief sidetrack, have you ever watched Cameron Crowe's series, Roadies? Oh my gosh, I love that series. I missed it when it was first on because I didn't have Showtime, but I caught up with it a couple years ago, I think during the pandemic. I adored it, and I understand people's criticisms of it, but here's my takeaways. I enjoyed it. I think it's one of the best things that Crowe's done. I love the cast. I love Carla Gugino. I love Luke Wilson. Ron White! was really fucking good. He, I think he deserved an Emmy. Even Machine Gun Kelly, who I didn't realize was Machine Gun Kelly, was really good. But I loved how every episode there were different bands that showed up, and I loved that Jim James was actually in a couple of episodes. So that series is like, I call it almost famous fan fiction. It's like that Cameron Crowe wrote... It's in that same universe, yeah. He wrote a fan fiction based on Almost Famous, but Jim James is also in another Cameron Crowe movie about Kentucky, Elizabethtown, uh, that has uh, Kirsten Dunst in it. I think I did see that. And they play a cover, a wedding cover band, and they play Freebird in the wedding. Right. Or it was a funeral. Is it a wedding or... It might be a funeral. I think they play Freebird at a funeral, Uh, and these birds catch on fire, and like these like these uh, paper mache or these like crafted somehow paper crafted birds catch on fly. fly. It's a whole thing. That that sounds very. There's a couple of his movies that I won't watch that I refuse to watch, but I'm a Cameron Crowe. Yeah, he's in my top up there with Gus Van Zandt is one of my top filmmakers. I I enjoy his stuff, but yeah, there's a couple that I haven't like. I haven't seen We Built a Zoo. Oh, and you should. I heard I heard it was good. Oh, that's one of my favorites. And I did I didn't see the one where Emma Stone was cast in in a role that many people say that she shouldn't have been cast That's in. the one I've refused to watch. That's the only um, one I've refused to watch. And there, just... there's a couple others that I haven't caught up with, but I've seen most of his stuff. Either I love it or I appreciate it, but uh, the, one of the other things, and then I'll get away from this, one of the other things I loved about this is that the fictional band at the heart of, at the heart of Roadies, you never heard them play a song, and that was genius because... When you've got a fictional band, you come with the weight of you have to give them material. And by not having them featured, you avoid that. However, on the other hand, I am totally in admiration and absolutely love Daisy Jones and the Six. Have you watched it yet? Yeah, I'm a little bit lukewarm on that right now. but it, I, it, I love it. And I, one of the reasons I do love it is the world building that... Uh, Blake Mills and a bunch of other people wrote these songs, and the songs are great. I love that Riley Keough, who is the granddaughter of Elvis, is Daisy Jones, and she's got the charisma. I love the fact that even the songs by the side characters have been written, and you can find them on your streaming sites. And I did an episode where I dove into what I call the Daisyverse. And I know there's a lot of people say, oh, Fleetwood Mac, like, partly. But, like, put that aside and just enjoy the story for what it is. Because, yeah, I can see it was kind of Fleetwood Mac, but it's not. It's not, like, a linear copying. And I'm not going to ruin it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but I I love the album. I love I've the never show. really listened to anything beyond the singles of Fleetwood Mac. I've not I've not yeah. developed into the fan verse there, but I, I, I what I think I want to do is I want to go back and uh, listen to the audiobook right. and then watch the series again fresh from the start. I've of- heard I've heard that the book and the series kind of diverge, which is I know there's people who are like, "Oh, the, it wasn't as good." I think that sometimes you need to deviate from the source material and it's okay i i love the mcu but the the mcu is not 100 percent based on canon from the comic that's books. the marvel I comics a, universe for you novices out nope, there 
Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm sorry, the Marvel Cinematic Universe for yeah. you novices. And your out microphone there. is right here, not there. For all of you novices out yeah, there, the MCU. Is. I'm, I'm editing. I'm editing that. Don't part edit out. that out. The MCU. Uh, there, there will be links in the show notes to explain to you novices what the MCU. There will be. Is. There will be no links. Um, but let's move on. There was. There's another artist who kind of came on board and became one of your new favorites. And not Dawes. We can talk about them all day, oh, too. Dawes are great. But... So uh, when Jason Isbell's Southeastern came out, I had never heard of the Drive-By Truckers. I didn't right. know what... I mean, Really? Yeah, I'd never listened to the Drive-By no. Truckers. I think maybe it, like they were like vaguely out here in the, you know, Cause on the margins. I saw DBT like back during Southern Rock Opera. They played at Arts, Beats, and Eats in Detroit on Labor Day weekend. This woman I was dating... At that point, we were just friends. She's like, you gotta go see them. And I went, and I was blown away. And here's chubby little Jason with his Robert Plant hair just <laughs> grinning and picking. I mean, folk and Americana is probably, and, and even like what we used to call cow punk, which is like country rock. I mean, I even like, I haven't listened to them in I a while. I refuse to call it Americana. I think that's a marketing term. But I like the Flying Burrito Brothers. I like Uncle Tupelo. Yep. I, lo- I actually don't. Right. Don't hate me. I actually like the Eagles. Okay? I hate the Eagles. But that's another. <laughs> that's another story. But when uh, when when Southeastern came out um, was when I first really heard about him, and that I actually also heard about him in a review. I think right. it might have been in Relics, uh, which is a great music. A magazine. lot of people discovered him with Southeastern because there was two songs that are considered among his pantheon, and that was being you know Elephant and Cover Me Up. Hard on the run, keeps a hand on the gun. You can't trust anyone. I was so sure what I needed was more. Tried to shoot out the sun. Days when we Somebody knew I was meant for someone So go leave your boots by the bed We ain't leaving this room Someone needs medical Cover me up and know you're enough to use me for good. Put your faith to the test when I tore off your dress in Richmond on high. I sobered up I swore off that stuff Forever this time The old lovers say I thought it'd be me Who helped him get home 
like the way he talks honestly about grief and longing and recovery is just so profound um but, but there was just there was just so much integrity to right. that record and then now, how long have you been in recovery at that point five years okay and but it, it like it hit me just massively it was so electrifying the first show i could find that i could go to was in uh, near kalamazoo michigan at the myers garden and only like about a month after my dad died, we had just finished his m- memorial service, and Jeannie had flown back to um, Tennessee. And uh, Jeannie is your wife. Yes, and, uh, uh, and 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 she is so glad that I'm back with Bono again, and so is my brother. They, she was like, she was so mad at me that I didn't try to get tickets to his book tour at the Ryman, to Bono's book tour at the Ryman, and I was like, I'm not going. I, I'm not just, I, you know. And uh, you got to listen to your wife, man. Jeannie is a hardcore U2 fan, yeah. and that was that we bonded. She claims that I wore a U2 T-shirt. We met at a 12 meeting and she claims that me wearing the U2 t-shirt is why she decided she would finally talk to me because she loves U2 she loved U2 even before she met me so see missed opportunity you need to take her to see Bono next time so um, we've seen we've seen a lot of U2 together right. anyway my uh, mother and I decided we were going to go to Lake Michigan that's like one of my spiritual homelands the beach of western Michigan oh yeah and so uh, uh, we got a hotel near Grand Haven and we um, got tickets to see Jason Isbell and James McMurtry oh Damn. At the Myers Garden and uh, the Myers uh, store chain up north, it's like it's like a, a, a smaller Walmart for and a smaller Target for mis- Midwesterners. I think that Myers came first. Myers is an incredible store. Anyway, yeah. so anyway, they they have this 
incredible um, a sculpture garden and botanical garden and outdoor music venue. And it's a small outdoor music venue, yeah. and they sell out. Every show pretty much sells out, and they have top only top tier artists. And uh, it was a it was a drizzly Michigan summer night. Uh, I, I think we had to wear raincoats, and right. it was probably in the '60s, right. if, if 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 that. It was not it was not hot. I somewhere. So on a, and you went to the show with your mom. Yeah, that's awesome. And it was it, it's everything. And then I remember when um, something more than free uh, dropped. Uh, he did a day of release party at yeah. at Grimey's, and because it was in such demand, you had to get a ticket. Oh. Oh, man. to go to the release party so I got a ticket I got the vinyl and I waited on the um, it was a, a, a Tennessee summer day the right. opposite it was like 90 degrees and, and I and I went and camped out to get railing for that um, and Amanda was so pregnant with Mercy Rose oh, wow. she played fiddle with like I mean she was like seven or eight months pregnant right. and it was uh, absolutely in uh, so- Incredible, and I've been following Jason Hardcore ever since. And 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 this new record that he's about to drop, I think, is going to be one of the most incredible things of the year. You know, I was saying Natalie Merchant's album might be my favorite album so far of 2023, but Weather Veins, I think, is going to blow my mind. And I'm not quite to where you are with Bruce, but yeah, a new Jason album. I mean, Reunions mm-hmm. was a grower for me, um, but now I look back at Reunions and I just oh, I just love it. So I much. love Reunions and I love the Nashville sound. I I love his first album, Sirens in the Ditch. I kind of dropped off after that. But I think I came back on board with the one after Southeastern, which is, you said the title a moment. Something more than free. Something more than free. My friend Roland and I saw that show. He was playing. I don't know if you're familiar with the Visualite. It's a. It's my favorite venue here in Charlotte. It's it used to be a movie theater back in the day. It's just the perfect size. It's like I would say maybe about the same size, maybe a little smaller than the Magic Bag in Detroit. Mm. Seen some of my favorite shows there, and he played there. And this was the last time he would play a venue of that size. We bought tickets like the day before, and it was like Fourth of July weekend. We, it was it was one of those last minute decisions, but man, am I glad I got to see him in that little theater because it'll never happen again. Jason just seems to be like the best of humanity. Every time he opens his mouth, he says the right thing. I admire his sobriety, his recovery. I love his relationship with Amanda. Just recently saw Amanda. She did a free show at the Whitewater Center. And this was after she had scheduled a couple of shows here in Charlotte and had to cancel them. That she did a free show was very cool. And at the end of the set, comes out for an encore. And they cover a Harry Styles song. And she comes out and dances with the crowd. So that was very cool. They're both, they're great human beings and I I like them even more after watching the documentary. I love that song he wrote for A Star Is Born and in, in an interview he tells the story about <laughs> writing that song and Amanda was writing her uh, creative writing thesis. She did a creative writing thesis uh, at the Suwannee University of the South which right. is a very prestigious creative writing program. She got the MFA in, in creative writing and she was, uh, she told Jason she said, you cannot disturb me no matter what and Mercy was just like a toddler right. and so he was feeding Mercy like, you you know, peanut butter and uh, Lady Gaga calls on the phone, and uh, they negotiate him writing a song for A Star Is Born. And I, I, I don't know why Bradley Cooper didn't call, but anyway, or who else could have called? But anyway, Lady Gaga called Jason and said, "We want you to write a song for this movie." And then later, Amanda comes out of her um, her writing cave and blah blah blah. Oh yeah, Lady Gaga called. She's like, "Why didn't you come and get me?" <laughs> you know, and, and he's like, "You gave me strict orders to not disturb you." <laughs> yeah, and I love I love that part of the relationship. Like I I've heard him talking about when when it's time for him to write she will hold his feet to the fire about him like getting down to business of writing 
Yeah, Jeannie does not edit my poetry, and Jeannie is not a poet. And watching that movie, I'm like, Jeannie, don't ever become a poet. <laughs> don't ever want to edit my poetry because I'm I'm a, I'm a pretty ambitious poet, and uh, I just that the, the closeness, the proximity of their creative lives, and the tension that's in that documentary was almost too hard to watch, you know. Yeah. And and you know, people, I think when she first came out, people were trying to fashion her as like June Carter, and she's she's also Yoko Ono too, you know. <laughs> like, don't mess with Amanda, you no. know. <laughs> don't cross Amanda. I, and I <laughs> The, the last album I think you know just that mission statement that was the first song you know Hawk to the Dove I'm like yeah. that's that's a warning and like I am a badass and make no mistake yeah. you know if you cross me Jason is very outspoken about that you know All right. that she's not in the 400 units she guests on the albums right. and she sometimes performs when she doesn't have a gig of her own right. or when you know and I love it that they seem to be basically homeschooling Mercy on tour which yeah. is I think a great decision there's a song that just dropped yesterday about gun control and about uh, gun violence in nice. schools and about basically maybe Mercy's going to be homeschooled so she doesn't get shot. Oh. You know? See, that so sucks because kids should be able to hang out with other kids and, and have that kind of experience. But, you know, that's not having a kid myself. It's not for me to say, but I, I hate that we live in a country where there is a powerful group of people who could do something about this, but choose not to. I hate to say it, it sounds morbid, but I can't help but think that it would have to take somebody high in the NRA to lose a loved one to gun violence for them to change their stance. We did not come here to hold their feet to the fire. I came here to hold your feet to the fire. I'm going to conclude this segment by holding your feet to the fire, Andy Smith. Rank them. You two, my morning jacket, Jason Isbell. It's Jason, jacket, uh, you two, in that order. Wow! Jason's the top, then okay. the jacket, then you two. And then and then Dawes are right there, probably right in there, up in there. And uh Adeem, Adeem might, you know, Adeem is doesn't have enough material yet, but I'm right. I'm a groupie for and their pronouns are they them. <laughs> I've been right. reminded by them several times to re, to try right. to respect their pronouns. So, I, I only get confused because I'll be like, wait a minute, they you mean there's more than one of them? Listen, uh, and Adeem would probably say, Yes, there is more than one of me. The voice is in my head. I just saw That's a play fair. I, I just That's saw fair. a play uh the other day where there's three cast members, but right. they're all the same character. <laughs> Myself and I. <laughs> so um, the uh, uh, White Trash Revelry is in that genre, and they are opening for Jason in uh, Arkansas in a few days. And I'm going, I'm driving all the way. And I think that's opening night of the right. Weather Veins tour. Right. Jason doesn't stop touring though. I don't really like ranking, but right now Jason is everything to me musically. Like I'm just so into their their everything they do. Um, but like also too, I, I, I based on where I'm willing to spend my money because a friend of, uh, was asking me the other day, you know like about my music hobby and how expensive it was and you must do you have like a like a patron uh, uh, or something just to even afford your music hobby so spending money on concerts is a commitment and thank god i don't have to buy beer anymore but i've recently dr started drinking non-alcoholic beer and it's just as expensive as alcoholic beer so, that, um, so based on who i'm willing to see multiple times because when i'm really into an artist i don't want to go to one show i want to go to five right. shows uh, and that's the addict in me too you know one if one is good ten is better my summer is shaping up to seeing several my morning jacket shows and several jason isbell shows and i'm only going to one u2 at the sphere because it's a million dollars to go to that and, yeah. and it's also in las vegas and that's far away <laughs> and las, if, if las vegas was in that if like if they were doing their residency in nashville i right. would probably try to at the bridgestone or something i would probably try to convince myself to go to multiple there shows you go. before we wrap up 
How can people and when can people listen to Teacher on the Radio? So uh, right now I'm on a summer uh, sabbatical, but I'm um, starting up back in uh, August. I'm going to try to have regular shows at 11 a.m. on Saturdays, and that broadcasts on 88.5 FM in Cookville, and then is also streamed from their website at www.tntech.edu forward slash WTTU. But even better way to go is to my website, www, and you have to type in the www.teacheronthradio.com or to my SoundCloud page, uh, SoundCloud Teacher on the radio where I have all my playlists and a considerable archive right. of, of on-demand uh, episodes. I do not have a complete run. I'm somewhere around 450 shows since 2007. I'm in my 16th year. I have an ambitious agenda for shows coming up into right. the next year. So I will... The one problem is, is the concept... I moved my show to Saturday because it was easier to do it on the weekend than during right. the week. But then uh, if I'm traveling for a concert, I have to cancel that week's show. Right. I don't have any... I don't have a somebody who can go and press all the buttons for for me <laughs> when I'm out of town, though I might I might at some point um, uh, hire a student to do that for me so I can be because I record all my shows in advance. So technically, uh, somebody else could go and plug in the the uh, pre-recorded show at the radio station. But yeah, that's a little bit too under the hood. Anyway, Scott, thank you, you for can having get yourself me an intern. That's no honest man can pay. Thank you, Andy, so much for hanging out with us this morning. Sing this with me. This is forty.